Hello, welcome to Sideways. I'm whispering because I'm in bed. I'm waiting for the alarm to go off. This week, we're talking about how we step back from doing things that might help us, preferring instead to see if the world will change and save us the bother. We also cover the worst music to be exposed to when put on hold on the telephone, how you can sometimes tell a lot about a band from its name, and the Bay City Rollers. Snooze button. Morning. Um, why are you playing the Bay City Rollers? <laughs> uh, well, in memory of Les Gray? Uh, well, Les, Les McCure, because Les Gray was in mud. But, oh, yeah. Uh, Les McCure, yeah, Les McCure, yeah, lead singer, fellow addict, another soldier down. Is Les is Les, is, uh, is Les Gray still alive? Um, I think he's I think he's passed on as well. Is he? Was he an alcoholic? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Although I did see Mud live once at, um, at the Wheaton Manor Club in uh, in Bolton Mon Chelsea. It was just <laughs> Les Gray and a few dodgy backing uh, musicians, but it was still Mud as far as I was concerned. Did you ever see the Bay City Rollers? I I didn't, mate. No, did you? I didn't see the Bay City Rollers, but I was a very big fan of the Bay City Rollers. And I can remember, do you remember when they were very popular, there was that um, craze that everyone had of um, either wearing tartan scarves or tying tartan scarves around their wrists. Do you remember that? I do. I do. I remember I remember seeing you going to school with a, a, a couple tied around your wrists, that's for sure. Well, I know you're taking the piss, but <laughs> I was just about to tell you that I went to a wedding when I was a... I must have been an early, in my early teens, perhaps. I may have been, been younger than that. I probably was younger than that. It's probably about 11. Um, and uh, I, didn't have a t- <laughs> I didn't have a tartan scarf, but I wanted a tartan scarf to show my support for the, for the rollers. And uh, so my mum <laughs> found an old bit of tartan fabric <laughs> that I tied around my wrist. I, might, I must have looked a right twat. <laughs> well, it could have been. You could. You could have been wearing a um, a tartan skirt. <laughs> yeah. What you mean a kilt? Uh, we, yeah, that's that's not where. But it, it would have been a girl's uh, one of your mum's old tartan, tartan skirts. That's what I meant. But you could have worn it as a kilt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't don't remember my mum ever having a, a tartan uh, skirt. But I can. Yeah, she could usually find a fabric of most varieties if the need <laughs> arose. <laughs> I'm I'm quite happy to say I don't think there are any pictures that exist of me at that wedding with my tartan scarf around my wrist. But anyway, there we are. I I thought you are. I bet you were the belle of the ball. I probably probably started the dancing if uh, the Bay City Rollers came on. (laughs) Anyway, yes. Should we we move on from Les McEwen? Is that what you want to talk about this week? Bay City Rollers? No, No, not really. No, no. Um, I, I, the idea that I came up with was something that, um, well, I was lying in bed a couple oh, of weeks Christ. ago. And, Too much yeah, information. Yeah. Well, well, it's just my alarm went off and I rolled over and hit the snooze button, which is quite unusual for me, really, because I don't do that, do that during the week. I get up as soon as the alarm goes off, but I'd left the recurring alarm on. And it was right. a weekend and I, and I, I could, have, could have just turned it off, but I hit the snooze button because um, I thought, oh, I might as well get up in a minute anyway. But um, and it sort of just reminded me of a discussion we'd had in groups. Uh, well, it comes up quite a lot um, about about how our addiction puts us in a uh, 
in a place where we put our whole of our life on hold. Uh, it just sort of illustrated that to me. I mean, I, like, I, your, it, like, like what we refer to as your lost decade. Exactly. Exactly. And my, my life was completely on hold and nothing happened. Nothing changed particularly. It probably did, but it happened around me. I wasn't aware of it. Um, and we sort of, um, we emotionally stagnate at that point. And it, um, I think we, it feels like nothing, nothing changes because we're too removed from society um, to be aware of what's happening around us. So it's like, um, so I suppose what you're talking about really is a, um, it's almost like a hidden consequence of addiction, isn't it? You've got all the sort of chaos and awfulness that is very visible and tangible, but then you've got this realisation that for however long you spend in the clutches of addiction, you're actually, you're not growing, are you? No, you're not. You're not growing. Um, you, you, you grow a little bit more angry, <laughs> more, more depressed, more anxious. But emotionally, apart from that, you're pretty stunted, which is always have a bit of a joke. You know, you, when you go into recovery, you sort of start off in recovery at the age you were when, you, when, you, when your addiction was at its worst. So I sort of, um, you know, I, when I, I've taken 10 years off of my life upstairs. I've had 10 years worth of stuff to, to catch up on. Yeah, it doesn't look like it, though. You well, don't, no, look, I feel you don't look like you're 10 years younger. A lot of 10 years older. You know, that's, the, that's the consequence of it. It ruins you physically <laughs> and mentally. <laughs> but I think even, even when you're considering recovery, I remember at the time, you know, I was putting my life on hold at that point, you know, waiting for the sort of perfect conditions to, to come along, which <clears throat> then, then never actually arrives. But it happens a lot. We see people that are sort of flirting about coming into groups and flirting with the idea of recovery. And they say, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it after Christmas or after my holiday or, you know, I'm going through a bit of a messy divorce at the moment. And, yeah. you know, I, I know we covered procrastination in a, a few episodes ago, so, it's, so I didn't want to go over that area, but because this is a lot different. Yeah, there's, so uh, I, there's that um, um, <clears throat> phrase that people trot out, which is essentially, although they might not use these words, it's essentially... Uh, I'm going to do it when I feel a bit stronger. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. which is a which is a classic putting your life on hold, isn't it? It's like it a, is. a, I'm I'm not doing anything at the moment. It, the the thing I think the thing that's most kind of destructive about it is that what you're really saying when you're making any statement like that, whether it be in addiction or not in addiction, you're saying I'm going to wait for the world to change, and then when it changes in a way that feels more comfortable to me. I'm going to make some changes for myself. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really, it's, it's quite a, um, a dispiriting thought. It is really. I mean, when you look up the definition of, of, of uh, life on hold, um, it's, it's illustrated by saying it's a bit like treading water. You know, you're going through all the motions, but you're not actually going anywhere. And I think you know, I, I, people often try out the phrase, I'm sure you must get it when people come to see you and say, oh, I feel like my life's on hold. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes we, we ask other people and say, you know, do you feel like your life's on hold? It's a phrase we try out a lot, but there's quite a lot of significance underlying that, isn't there? There is. Uh, and, and actually, sometimes, sometimes people will say, I feel like my life's on hold. But more often than not, they'll either refer to it as feeling stuck or even more frequently than that, they won't refer to it at all. But there'll be this... this um, you know, in their behaviour, in the conversations that you have with someone, it will be evident that they're stuck. So, you know, I can think, in fact, I was just talking to, to someone about this uh, this week. There'll be clients who come in every week or every couple of weeks or every month and they 
hear themselves saying the same things. They hear themselves talking about the same issues that they're having, the same difficulties, the same um, emotional blocks that they've got. And uh, funnily enough, it's one of the things that sometimes puts a lot of pressure on therapy because people start to feel guilty about coming along and telling you stuff that they've told you before. Like, like they're like, they have something, you know, they owe you um, being able to come and say something different. It's almost as if uh, for a lot of people, their recovery is almost more for their therapist than it is for themselves. That's weird, isn't it? It is weird when you think about it like that, but it's not weird when you take it in the context of what we've just been talking about, which is I'm waiting for the world to change so that I can change. You know, this whole, this focus away from ourselves around, well, what other stimulus do I have? What other motivation do I have to change is the problem. That's what keeps us stuck. The thing, the only thing that ever frees us is our ability to recognize that the only person that will create the change is us, and we can do it whenever we want. But uh, do you think people are coming along and sort of almost justifying why, why they're going to therapy by almost sort of making something up? And they think, oh, my God, I can't say the same thing again. I've got to show this some sort of progress. No, I don't see that so much. I, st- I think it's more – I think the reason it puts pressure on therapies uh, is because sometimes people feel guilty about coming and not having anything new. So it's not so much that they think of something new. I don't really see that happening at all. But I think people perhaps get to the point where they think, perhaps I should stop coming now because I keep coming here and saying the same things and I'm stuck. And I'm not talking about two or three sessions. I'm talking about this being out. This can go on for years. So if you think about yourself when you were drinking, had you been in therapy at that time, and okay, okay, that opens up that whole sort of can of worms about, <laughs> yeah. or how useful is therapy when you're drinking, but that's another conversation. Sure. You essentially would have come into your therapy every time and you would have said the same things. You'd have said, oh, well, I'm drinking again, you know, and this has happened and that's happened. And you probably would have got to the point where you thought, oh, this is pointless. You know, I might as well, I might as well just stop doing this because it feels to everybody involved as if your life is on hold. Yeah. But, but the thing is, at some point you you know you have the opportunity you might come to the realization that oh i can actually do something about it that moves it on now i think the thing that's destructive is waiting for something else to happen to move it on yeah it is it is destructive i mean um you know we, we experience it in everyday life not just obviously not just in addiction or people that are going to therapy and i think it's been a great illustration recently hasn't it you know wait, lockdown you know we're sort of waiting for good news about the easing of it and a lot of people have used that phrase, and I feel like my life's been on hold. And, and it is. It's, 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 a, it's been hoisted upon us, isn't it, that one? It's mm-hmm. not something which has naturally happened. It's, it's, we're all in it together. Um, well, but it's, uh, Go on. I was just going to say, um, that is a brilliant illustration, of, I think, of what we're talking about. The people... Uh, let's, let's, let's put aside people who've had uh, difficulties through lockdown with, you know, illness, either with COVID or known people that have, that have been ill or have lost their jobs or whatever. I mean, obviously that's a completely different situation, but if you've managed to go through lockdown and you've managed to stay healthy, but you've been um, kind of consumed by this feeling that your life is on hold all that time, you're doing exactly what I've just been talking about, which is you're waiting for the world to change so that you can. You know, there are plenty of examples of people who've actually 
you know, made use of that time in lockdown in many different ways, either, you know, in reconnecting with things that they'd lost connection with in the past or, you know, managed to find ways of staying um, close to the people that are important to them. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's really about the way that we think about a situation. It's not the situation in and of itself that creates the problem. It's the way that we respond to it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It, it, it is a, it is a, when I was putting the notes together and I, I was thinking exactly along those lines, it doesn't, because we feel our lives on hold, doesn't mean we can't, you know, push, push the barriers a little bit and, and try different things and to, to move things or, or try something completely different, which a lot of people have, you know, Zoom was sort of um, a, a word that was unknown really before, before lockdown and suddenly everyone knows it, everyone uses it and it's been a great tool. Yeah. If you think about what the, the impact would have been in your, in, in your peer support group, had nobody bothered to try and find another way of connecting. Yeah. What that, what would have happened? Absolutely awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. It, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come on to a little bit of that in my gratitude list at the end there, but um, yeah, it would have been absolutely awful. But the point, the point uh, is if, if you, that would have been an example of you all sitting there and saying, well, there's nothing we can do about this because the world is not allowing us to meet and you'd have just sat waiting. Your life would have been on hold and it would have had, probably in some cases catastrophic results yeah it would have done it would have done definitely yeah so yes yeah, so, so i will i will will re um readdress that later on but um it, it, another analogy that i was thinking about which you you I, I find it particularly annoying and quite difficult to do anything other than feel like i'm wasting my time as well i'm being put on hold on the telephone <laughs> I mean, it's just awful, isn't it? I, mean, I don't think anyone has anything nice to say about that. And when I, I, re, I when I was doing, doing me research from my notes for this uh, for this episode, I went down through lots of different ra um, rabbit holes, and one of them was about on on hold and on hold music and that sort of thing. And they reckon the average person now spends spends forty five hours a year on hold on the telephone, which is more than they spend making love. Really? It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Is that more than you spend making love? Uh, certainly this year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's, yeah. Interesting. that's interesting. And I, I agree that um, being put on hold on the telephone is annoying and irritating. But, um, and, and, I, and I also agree it's probably one of the more difficult situations to um, take control over. But if I'm put on hold on the, on the telephone, I just I put it on speakerphone and I carry on doing whatever I was doing before. It's a little bit easier now, isn't it? As, as um, the telephone technology has moved on, so you can uh, you can put it on speakerphone and, uh, and that sort of thing. But in the old days, you used to have to hold it under your chin like that, didn't you? The receiver <laughs> with one one wefty shoulder like that, and trying to do something else with one hand with the other. Yeah, yeah. You, you're inevitably standing in a drafty hallway where the phone used to be positioned on the wall or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The people queuing up behind you with their two, their two pence pieces <laughs> waiting to have a go. Yeah, yeah. What about if you if you had to if you had to choose the worst on hold music? Then it really drives you mad, or or you hear most of the time. Where where would you go with that? What do you reckon? Because I've had a look at this to see what the worst ones are. Well, I can I, I, I'll tell worst. you. I'll tell you what. Immediate. I mean, I haven't thought about this at all, but I can no. tell you what. I'll tell you what immediately came to mind. Okay. Uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's up there. I think everyone. Um, has that it's, it, was, it was voted I think it was that that and green sleeves was the ones that, uh, that that really drove people mad yeah I'm not I don't I can't remember hearing green sleeves on um, on hold music but certainly Four Seasons I mean 
that's just it's lazy isn't it it's just so lazy who who is it in an organization that says what music should we have for the on hold oh why don't we try vivaldi's four seasons you'd think that someone would say no let's not do that it's been done a bit too much it is well i i found on um when I was running with business, I found that in the telephone system, there's a, there's a, a jack plug that I could put a, a cassette player into or a, um, a, an external audio um, device into it, and I could play my own music over it. So I used to have a bit of out of order and see you there going on. Because I knew that because there's also problems at one time saying you're going to you have you're going to have trouble with PRS rights if you're if you're playing you know music on there, which 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 I which I think probably Vivaldi is outside of copyright. I think probably people can use that without having to get involved with the PRS boys. Yeah, he's not going to sue you, is he? Not really. No. I mean, I suppose by the same token, does that mean we can now use um, the back catalogue of the Bay City Rollers? Oh, I don't think so, no, mate. They're, they're hellishly big. There's massive court battles went on. What, do you remember when they were... I don't really. They, yeah, they all got left quite penniless, really, and, and the, the management team were running around in, in proper rollers. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't use Shang Alang as the um <laughs> as the theme tune to Sideways next week. We cut well I tell that that little bit of the basic drawers I was playing in the background when I first came on, you may have to cut that out. I don't <laughs> think you I don't think you do have to, do you? Because you know, wherever you go on social media now, you watch little videos on Instagram and TikTok and stuff, and there's music playing in the background. That can't that yeah. there must be some other rule for that, I'm sure. There probably is, but I don't expect they'd come after us, do you? Which we're, we're across that bridge, shall we? Well, if they do, it was you that was playing it, so sure, it's not, no, a, problem. It's not a problem for me. No, you edit, you're editing it down, responsible for the uh, for the output. It's your responsibility <laughs> to make sure it complies with the rules. <laughs> anyway, anyway, where were we? I don't know. Uh, you got lost in your notes now. I have a little bit. Yeah, I've got, mm. I've got a little bit sidetracked, but I, I was reading again down one of these rabbit holes, reading about the. Um, there's a number of papers on the psychology of, of, of on-hold music and, uh, and on-hold on programming. And I started to read one, and it was very boring. It was awful. It was, it was like being on-hold. I'd rather have been <laughs> listening to, uh, I don't know which one of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Is it spring, the one they tend to use? I, I, I don't oh, know. I don't awesome. know. They're all, they're, they're, you know, some, if you're unlucky, if you're on-hold to Virgin Media, you probably get through all four of them. <laughs> you probably, yeah. or hmrc you try and ring the inland revenue mate you're there for, for that's right you can start off in a very good humor and then by the by the end of uh by the end of being on hold you want to punch someone in the throat you do yeah it raises the level of anxiety to, to to a dreadful level but again when you google when you google life on hold it comes up with a lot of it comes up with uh, it seems to be relationship orientated you know, right. someone's you know for some it gave an example and there's several examples on there people where they perhaps start an illicit relationship with a married person and they feel like their life's on hold waiting for their for their lover to, to, to make the leap or, or, or for something to happen. They find their completely life on hold. And I think there's actually support groups of people uh, for, for being the, the other person. Well, um, so it's, it must be a massive problem. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, obviously that does happen a lot in relationships, but it reminds me of, um, you know, once in a while, quite, quite regularly, you know, not all the time, but quite regularly, I'll have questions from people uh, or clients will talk to me about those sorts of situations where there's something going on in their relationship. I suppose it could be infidelity. Um, it could be a problem with their partner. You know, maybe their partner's drinking too much or, you know, whatever it might be. And the question almost always, first of all, is about what they can do to get the other person to change. Yeah. 
which is exactly, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like, how can I change the world so that I feel comfortable moving on with my life rather than asking themselves, right, well, what can I do about this situation? It's like that, you know, in the example that you gave, if you're, if you're um, in a clandestine relationship and you're waiting for that other person to, you know, leave their relationship, well, why are you putting all of your happiness in the hands of someone else? I mean, that's that's not very sensible, is it? But you're right, people people do do it all the time, but it's like it's much easier to wait for something else to change than it is to take responsibility for, for it yourself. And obviously, you know, anybody in recovery will understand the truth of that. Oh, totally, totally. Um, other examples that came up were people waiting for a promotion at work feel like their life's on hold. They're waiting for this job, almost like dead man's shoes in some cases. So they can be on hold for years and, re- and really feel like they're stagnating. Um, another one that, that wasn't, uh, it didn't come up in the research, but what I thought about is, is people like well, footballers on the, injury, on the injury list. And we can imagine Andy Carroll, I mean, his life was more on hold than on the pitch, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, those, those are two, they're both those quite interesting. The, fir- the first one, the kind of waiting for a promotion thing, is again an example of the I'm waiting for the world to change before I can. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think there's something in there about um, all the time we can hope for that change, whether it be a promotion or, you know, someone will leave their partner and come and live with us or we'll get that person that we love back again. All of that is a way of um, deferring, putting off the disappointment of having to deal with reality. Yeah, you know, instead of instead of facing the truth, it's easier for us to think that oh well, if I hang on long enough, things might change. And I think that's that's true of all those examples you gave, apart from the footballer on the injury list. Because with Andy Carroll, you could say, well, actually, his life probably wasn't on hold. He was probably in the bars drinking, you know, <laughs> drinking lager and going out partying. He never had to play a game of football, did he? So. I wonder who the joke's on. Well, yeah, it wasn't bad for 80 grand a week, was it? To just struggle up to his local with a leg brace on. But I'd, I'd find, I'll give you an example where I felt my life was really on hold. And you may be able to relate to this. Um, it was when, when my, both my parents were in the hospice and I, I was waiting for, that phone, for those phone calls to come along and they never came initially. It kept, it was, you know, it's going to be tomorrow, it's going to be tomorrow. And it went, my poor old dad was in the hospice for three months. You know, I know my mum joined him for the last sort of six weeks, but it was my life felt really on hold at that point, just waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate on anything else. It was an awful time, yeah. and that was, and I felt, I felt at that point that, um, you know, looking back on it, I remember then relying on, on sort of uh, drinking too much to sort of get me through, just to yeah. sort of, uh, to 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 numb the pain of the waiting. Yeah. To be honest, I think that is the best example of a life being on hold because um, when you're, when there's someone that you love who is terminally ill, uh, it is very difficult for many people to uh, look away from that for long enough to be able to continue with their lives. It's like you're waiting for the inevitable to, to happen. So I think that, um, anticipatory grief that we experience when someone is sick and you know they're going to die is um i think that is the it's it's hard to see 
a way out of that example of putting your life on hold because it just it just does just hold you still doesn't it you know? yeah 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 I, I, that was the time i really felt in the grips of it i really did i, I think mean, I, it's it's one of the, it's funny enough um it's one of the conversations i've often had with my sister because as you know both of my parents died very suddenly yeah now there are obviously there are difficulties associated with that but you know my dad he was fine when my mum went off to church one morning and she came back and he was dead and then my mum had a fall took they took her into hospital didn't know what it was and she was dead less than 24 hours later so as as much as that was a terrible shock there was no kind of life on hold because life went on in quite a traumatic way but life carried on and yeah, it almost felt like I was I was pre-grieving, if you like. I wasn't really, you know, the grieving couldn't start until the inevitable happened. It is horrible because I, th- I think a lot of people feel as if they're doing their grieving before the person dies. And then when they, re- yeah. when they, when the person dies, they realise they haven't done their grieving at all. That, well, exactly, exactly. You can try and put things in place and I found that really difficult. But I know in addiction, you know, um, or when you go into recovery, and you know, I felt that, that waiting for the, you know, waiting for the cravings to stop, or you know, waiting for the shakes to stop, or, wait, or waiting for the sleep pattern to return. There's always seemed to be these periods where I was, I was putting stuff on hold, waiting for something to happen. Um, but there's no shortcut to that. That just that just happened in its own time. Uh, and and I knew speaking to others, which is another good point about you know how we should deal with, with this feeling of life on hold is is, is uh, talking to others about it, feeling how telling people how crappy you feel. Because again, it, it, going to groups really helped me. Th- to understand that, yeah, my you know my shaking would stop soon, and yeah, my sleep pattern will return at some point, because I thought I was, I was going to be like that forever. I really felt felt like I was my life was going to be on hold in many areas. I wasn't going to be able to progress until these things worked their way through the system. Yeah, I mean, if you think about um, what it's like to be waiting for those things to happen, waiting for your sleep pattern to come back, waiting for the shakes to go, that is the definition of anxiety, because anxiety lives in the future. And what you're doing then is you are living your life in the future. You're saying, well, it'll be okay when this happens. It'll be okay when I'm sleeping properly. It'll be okay when I'm not shaking. It'll be okay when I don't have the cravings. And of course, you're living your life in a part of your life that can't be lived because it's not here yet. And so all the time you're living your life in the future, you can't be experiencing life in the present, which I think was we were talking about last week. That's that's, a... that's the only place you can have any gratitude, which is which is quite a nice segue onto the next onto the onto the gratitude bit, if you like. I've got some other bits and pieces, but I don't think I think it, it, it flows nicely. Well, have you got anything interesting in the other pieces you haven't talked about? No, no, not really. I was just talking about you know how we deal with this feeling of life on hold, but I think we've sort of covered it really. Um, yeah, I think I think what we're saying is um, if you if you feel as if your life's on hold, you are probably the problem. Yeah. Unless, some people are, unless you're dealing with someone who you, that you love is who is terminally ill, which case yeah, well, there's not much you can do about that. No, quite. I expect some people listening to this feel like their lives on hold a little bit, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that feeling right now, talking to you. <laughs> well, actually, that's a good example because if you are listening to this and you do feel as if your life's on hold, turn it off. Go and do something else. We don't want you here. <laughs> aggressive but true <laughs> uh, so anyway so gratitude then so we, we nearly got there so we'll go back to that now if that's okay uh, yeah okay do you want me to start to, yeah go on mate uh this week 
Um, I'm feeling grateful to have a garden. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, cool. no, I'm not sort of. I'm not waving it in front of your face because you oh, haven't got. Have, have a pop at me. Make <laughs> me feel bad. <laughs> Bring me down. <laughs> it's nice. Yesterday, I was putting put a couple of new raised beds in and working out where I was going to plant all my vegetables and stuff like a you know proper middle middle aged hippie. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's it was lovely yesterday, wasn't it? It was nice and warm. It felt like a proper spring day. It's just nice to be outside with your hands in the in the earth, as long as <laughs> as long as you can uh, avoid the bloody cat poo from next. Yeah, exactly. Night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 mine. Gardens. Good, good. That's a good one. Well, mine's similar to that, really, but it's um, it's, bit, it's about being outside. But I'm really grateful this week to have our first face-to-face meeting with uh, with my fellow aspire to be recoverers. Oh, was that, out, was that uh, socially distance outside in the park? Yeah, it was. Yeah, nice. yeah. We've been we sort of our life was on hold, waiting for the weather to get better. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I was really grateful for was one of the one of the girls that came along who I'd never met before. I'd only met, only met her on Zoom. And she had terrible anxiety about going outside. And she managed to, against her, uh, uh, her instincts, she was able to get herself and come to the meeting. And by her own admission, she felt a lot better for doing so. So she passed through good. a little barrier. And I was really grateful for her. I'm grateful she made the effort because it was, I, I get real joy out it when I see people start to get better. And that was, that was a real highlight for me. Yeah, well, that that is uh, it's a very relevant uh, example, isn't it? Because she uh, didn't wait for her anxiety to go away before she did something about it. So she didn't yeah, put her life on hold, did she? No, she didn't. No, I was proud of her. I, really, I was proud of her. Did anyone bring cake? Yes, they did, uh-huh. which was another... I could have put that on the gratitude list as well because I was, gra- I was what, great. Third week running? It, well, I was getting a bit, uh, yeah, it was all getting a little bit cake-orientated, uh, but I, I was very grateful for the cake that turned out. It was a nice cinnamon cake, which is lovely. Nice. Did you take any cake? No, no, I didn't, no. No, no, it's not, it's not generally accepted that you bring along cake, but uh, oh. one, of the, one of the girls that comes along who's, who loves baking always brings us along, she feeds us a little bit. She's like feeding the addicts. You, know, you, get, you take some bread to feed the ducks, she brings <laughs> some cake to feed the addicts. <laughs> <laughs> she throws us crumbs and we scramble around on the floor for her. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, um, uh, um, on Spotify, right? On Spotify, I looked up, um, uh, well, Snooze Button. Really? Yeah, there's loads of songs. Um, they're, what, they're called, Snoo- called Snooze Button? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, um, there, was, there was one I, I, I liked was by an American punk metal band. They're called Snot. So, yeah, they do one uh, called, uh, called Snooze Button. You'd never, um, you'd ne- you'd, you'd never guess that Snot were a, a punk band, would you? It doesn't reflect the, 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 the music genre at all, does it? No. <laughs> you might, you know, in the same way as you wouldn't think that Safety Pin were a punk band. <laughs> a punk band, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, 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 it does what it says on the tin on that one. Uh, but I think my favourite and probably what I'm going to put on the list this week is um, it's one by an American hip-hop sort of me- uh, metal cross group. They look a little bit like the Beastie Boys. Okay. Um, but they're, they're called the Boombox Poets and they do nice. one called Snooze Box, which I really like. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that on the, on the playlist. I'll look forward to listening to that. Have a little listen to it. There's another, there's a very chilled one by um, someone that I quite like today. He was called uh, Lo-Fi Eamon, which I quite <laughs> liked. <laughs> well, again, 
does what it says on the tin, presumably. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's a very chilled snooze buttony song. Actually, um, that would be quite useful, wouldn't it? If uh, every band name had to either have a prefix or suffix that explain what sort of musical genre they were. <laughs> <laughs> it would, it, 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 it would uh, take some of the uh, searching out of the equation. Yeah, the, je- the jeopardy. The Jeopardy. It would have been very useful in the old days where you had to flick through record bins and you thought, oh, I like the look of that, but I don't know what kind of music it is if it said AOR or punk or death (laughs) metal, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I found, so I'm going to put that on. But I I did have a little listen to a a great favourite track of mine, which is uh, Waiting for the Ghost Train by Madness, which is sort of talking about life being on hold. And and that's, uh, that's, that's still a great track. I thought you were gonna. I thought when you started that sentence, you were gonna say, "I've been listening to a favourite track of mine, waiting for a girl like you by Foreigner." <laughs> Hardly. It's hardly going to enter into the equation, is it? But I, yeah, think I know I, what I was going to ask you. In the paper this morning, I was reading about all this um, furore uh, between Number Ten and Dominic Cummings about uh, um, Boris Johnson trying to get his flat at uh, Number Ten Downing Street decorated. Um, and being paid for by donations from party donors. I was yeah. wondering if uh, you and Les had been asked to uh, to quote for the redecoration <laughs> at number 10. <laughs> Funnily enough, we got overlooked for that, as, as, as the bits and pieces at Buckingham Palace as well, which I was a little bit disappointed with. Um, you could have done a mural, couldn't you, on the wall? Yeah, one of Boris would have been good, wouldn't it? <laughs> For all time, so I could, I could do one out like I could, we could do one for that could go out, you know, in um, in number ten as, yeah. as you go up the stairs in number ten. They got all the all the uh, lovely paintings of ex prime ministers up there. I yeah. could have done a re- really wefty mural of Boris to go up there, couldn't I? In a mankini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're done then. Yes, mate. I think so. Bye. All right. See ya. Sideways was created by Graham Landy and Martin Pankhurst. If you want to read more about our work or sort through the extensive archive of past episodes, just visit grahamlandywellbeing.co.uk forward slash sideways podcast. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Sideways Podcast. And you can email us if you have a question or if there's something you'd like us to cover. But most of all, We want to tell you how grateful we are that you come and listen. And we ask that if you've enjoyed what you've heard, that you spread the word. And we'll see you next week.